Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley. I'm Tim Priester as we hit the Thursday podcast a couple days before Notre Dame takes on Duke. Obviously, sense of urgency is the catchphrase of the week and the fighting Irish desperately need to play really, really well this weekend. Duke's probably a pretty good opponent to do that against. I have to warn that I think David Cutcliffe is an outstanding coach, and if anybody can get them to start playing better, he's the guy to do it. Yeah, I mean, this this is the game where I think earlier in the preseason, I, I marked this as Notre Dame's upset loss. I think Pete had it as a very near escape. and had an overtime win. An overtime win, yeah. and I think it's everything. a lot has changed, clearly, if Notre Dame's... That was mainly because of a drop in excitement level by Notre Dame. And I, I mean, if you're not... I mean, a, after they were uh, after defeated I had them, Michigan State. I had them 3-0. Yeah. Um, and even if they were two and one, it would have been a defeat of Michigan, you know, beating Michigan State. So I, I've kind of saw a letdown. You you can't, as a human being in this situation, have a letdown now. It, it's not it's not a letdown anymore if you don't play well. It's just you're not that good. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not it's not a slump. Yeah, you know that's it's just how you are uh, as a football team. And you know I think it is going to be interesting because whether it's Duke or Nevada or Texas or Michigan State, your opponent really shouldn't dictate whether you're a sloppy team or not. You know that should be irrelevant. And that was something I asked Brian Kelly about after Nevada. You know, when you evaluate your team and where you are, how much does the competition factor into it? And he's like, kind of, sort of, some places, but not everywhere. But I just think the mentality, how physical you play, how sloppy you are or not, um, how crisp your execution is, how well your quarterback plays, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the opponent. And Duke, look, Duke's not that good. They can't score 20 points. We'll see if they can against Notre Dame. But against two, they played two SBF teams or two Power 5 teams, they score four touchdowns. So this should be a, a game where Notre Dame can sort of like work on some things during the course of the game. And we're sure as heck going to see what they worked on during the week. That is going to be apparent from the first series. I mean, this is a game where, if I'm Brian Kelly, I'm, de- you know, I'm deferring to the second half. I was like, all right, defense. Yeah. Let's see what you got. Because <laughs> you said you were physical all week. I, you know, I stuck my neck out for Brian McGuire and the coaching staff. Let's see what you got. I want to see Notre Dame go on defense first on Saturday. It's an interesting notion. And I think, you know, again, Duke is an interesting opponent on a couple levels because I think that they are much better than what they've showed up to this point. But the fact of the matter is they gave up 10 plays totaling 294 yards to Northwestern. Uh, Clayton Thorson looked like the deep ball threat of the Big Ten, which he has not done in his career up until last week. But Huge pass plays, 58-yard score, 44-yard score, 26-yard score. Sounds familiar. We see this on a regular basis. Uh, And yet, Northwestern ran 73 other plays that only netted 112 yards. There were a ton of stuff. So I think Duke's defense is better than we anticipate. I don't know about the offense because their quarterback situation, I mean, you can talk about uh, leading redshirt freshman quarterback in the country uh, with Daniel Jones, but I really don't think that he's 
anywhere ready for a, a true Power 5 defense, including Notre Dame. Yeah, and probably not as good as DeAndre Francois Florida State. No. But anyway, moving along. And, and I think it's important to note that Thomas Cirk, who would be their quarterback, no is a very good he was unknown a, quarterback. A multi-threat that rushed for uh, over 800 yards. Their uh, offense was kind of based around him. Absolutely. Some teams have they have a pretty good program, Duke, compared to what they had in the past, obviously, since they've won one less game than Notre Dame in the last four years. But a lot of it's tied. There's A lot of it's offensively was tied in the last two years to Cirk. And a veteran defense, they no, lost a lot of no guys. doubt. Only one team in the country has committed more turnovers than Duke, and that's Kansas, and that is bad company to be keeping. They've 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 turned it over ten times. They had five. They lost five fumbles against North Carolina Central. I have a theory on that later for the formula. Okay, coming we'll, up, so we'll we'll, be, we'll tie that in. And, but they also have fourteen sacks, and as we've learned from Notre Dame, <laughs> overrated. Kind of, totally overrated. Any, <laughs> any kind of sack is good. I don't care who you're getting it against. And they had five against North. Carolina Central, four against Wake Forest, four which we know is prone from Romeo Quara's outburst last year, and then five He's against... He's in the NFL, Tim. We yeah, I know, I know, I know. He's one of the ten guys they lost to the NFL. But they have they have 14 sacks to Notre Dame's none, so we'll see uh, we had, where reality is We there. had an interesting moment with sacks because the uh, Alex Anzalone story came out. Very well done. Former Notre Dame decommit has two and a half sacks this year, so we started looking at some guys that are no longer on Notre Dame's roster. Pete's guy, Colin Hill. One sack. Yes. Johnny Williams. Half sack. <laughs> you line up, get sacks accidentally. But uh, Vander knows no sacks. That's so, tough. Yeah. So that's four to zero there in that department. You know, you know, special teams, Notre Dame has a ton to clean up there, but Duke is pretty awful on special teams. They haven't made a field goal. They're 0-3. Except for return. They except made, their kick returner, yeah. Devon Edwards. They may bench their kicker. Um, their punter is not very good. Drop snaps. It just like, they're a mess. Um, so... Even like on special teams, it's a it's a time for Notre Dame to get right in that department. Um, but you have two really good returners in this game in, in Duke and Notre Dame. So, but I guess it's let's talk more about Notre Dame. The mentality that we saw from them this week. A lot of talk about tackling in practice, more physical in practice, and even sitting through the the captains' press conferences yesterday. The feedback on Twitter about you know when Mike McGlinchey is just commenting about like look. We've all lost games before, it's, you know, and he's he's meaning it as it doesn't mean you just pick up your ball and leave. Um, but I think the fan base is like you that's mean, an accept that's accepting mediocrity, no. and it's just like I think these players get it way more than fans realize or accept. Like they know what's going on, and they know where they're struggling, and they know why they're struggling. But that doesn't mean they're going to come out in a press conference and throw the coaching staff under the bus or throw a teammate under the bus. Um, it just doesn't work the way, nor should it work the way. They're too smart to do that. Or, or throw, or Brian Kelly throw Brian Van Gorder under the bus. It, it's it's counterproductive. Somebody responded by saying, "Well, Brian Kelly throws his players under the bus." Do you interpret it that way? I, I don't. I mean, I know he that has, he is critical in, in, in post game losses. The past, he has post game losses, but I, mean, I would not. Or, I don't think that's happened this year. Like throwing yeah. to me, throwing somebody on their bus is what he did to Dane Christ in 2011 when he rode the bus back over his corpse on Sunday. Yeah, that was <laughs> That's definitely a different yeah. than saying I need Deshaun Kaiser to have a more sense of urgency yeah. or I need Jerome. Yeah, I Jones think there's a fine line that's hard to interpret he, uh, there. I mean, he, you ask questions, we ask questions, and he gives a critique. I don't, 
I mean, I guess I look at it differently. It's hard for me to differentiate the difference between a critique and throwing a guy under the bus. The example you're citing with Dane Chris, that personal. stands out. That's a personal yes. thing. Like right. the, my guys, you know who I inherited. Yes, yes. That was a personal thing. I don't think thing. he does that a lot. Like no, when he, there's a couple. The Arizona State loss, the one we reference a lot out there, that is one where... He was he, and he was I throwing mean, Tim Priester. Yeah, he, he threw me under the bus. You under the bus with he, Golson. He was looking to get me, but I, yeah, Golson. Yeah, I mean he. You know, but sometimes listen. No one likes to hear it, but sometimes players do make the major mistakes in a game, and that was one of those games. I mean, if you are Brian Kelly and you're telling your veteran right tackle and your quarterback, hey, they get a lot of tip passes on this. You got to cut him, and then when he cuts him, then you can throw the tunnel screen. And they don't cut him, and Golson throws it anyway, and it's picked off for a touchdown. You know what? It is the player's yeah, fault. I don't. I mean, I don't have a problem with him talking about Cole Luke and look. He just needs to make that interception. Yeah. That's a physical mistake, or not? Maybe not a mistake, but just like he just needs to be better. He has to um, make play. You know, try hard is not that shouldn't be negotiable either. So I I didn't take any of his commentary this week to be like, wow, he's really putting this on the player because. I thought, I thought that he was, was a, much harsher on the coaching staff than he was on after the, the game. Yeah. yeah, I think people wanted to say the names of the coaching staff. Yeah, because the special teams no, are bad. That's so, crazy. Right, right, that's crazy. I thought his performance on Tuesday, just from a, the, the the standpoint of a press conference performance, I thought it was really good. And it was him at his best. It was as I I, I think it's in my uh, Thursday thoughts. It was you know Brian Kelly on his uh, caffeine buzz that we norm that we catch him. On a couple times per year, he was into it. He was <laughs> defending his, like I am right now. He's defending his, you know, his team. We're go, we're going to get this right. We take re- responsibility for what's happened. There's a long way to go. We're going to. Get I'm a back one on. and two football coach. Yeah, that he said a I'm a good, one and two football coach. It. I thought it was the political Brian Kelly at his very best. And you know what? I, I think that we are still of the belief in this room that they're better than they've shown. Yes, but Absolutely. the thing is, they have to be. I have a problem with the premise of why, how the Michigan State went the way it went. Look, I said it in the post game incident analysis. You're down thirty six to seven at home, and you have Kaiser. You know what? You're going to score some touchdowns. Let's not pretend like all of a sudden that's Notre Dame's offense now, throwing the ball over the place <clears throat> and scoring three touchdowns in a quarter because you got it handed to you up front. For the most of the game, and Michigan State shut it down on offense, and they relaxed finally on defense. They got D'Antonio'd. Yeah, they but they shut. They were up thirty six seven, and they shut it down. They didn't run the same offense anymore. It was no. run this clock, run this clock, and that's why the defense they looked didn't good. run the same defense either. No, and that's why the defense Notre Dame's defense looked better. Now Notre Dame's defense is better than it showed during that game. I would think for yeah. crying out loud. Well, it's like you said. <laughs> it's like you said against Texas. Every defense should have a 20-minute <laughs> yes. stretch where they play well. right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's not like these. There are four. Not, look, people are going to say star ratings don't matter. Okay, fine. There's four stars all over Notre Dame's defense, and Notre Dame's coaches wanted them. So what else do you need? Every recruiting service wanted them. Every opposing team other than Alabama and Ohio State probably wanted them, and the coaching staff but wanted them. But now they're them. young, right? Yeah. I mean, now we're hearing about them being young, and my argument is the same as it was with the 10 guys of the NFL. You weren't young last year. No, and you no, and right. you were not good defensively. This is not the first time sense of urgency has come up early in the season. No, it's He's, not. And I don't understand it. That's, that was what I was trying to get into, is why against Michigan State do you have a lull? How is that game af- afford you to have a lull? 
Duke, you on have a what lull. level yeah. would there be? When you go up 17 to nothing on Duke or Nevada, that's when you have a lull. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't have I a mean, lull against Michigan State. I think that it, it reminds me really of going back to the 2012 year, and one of the most interesting things that Nick Saban said while we were down there on the bowl week was about the mental edge and how that is really on the coaching staff to bring that out. And that's something he's really struggled with and worked with. And I think now you would say that they, they have that down. Um, but <laughs> that's something where I think Notre Dame just doesn't, they don't have it every time. I mean, aren't they you don't surprised, bring it every though, week. that Brian Kelly, I mean, we watched Brian Kelly and his staff coach. Mm-hmm. What are they doing that's not giving these players the mental edge? I don't see it. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I couldn't identify it. And I don't, I don't think Brian Kelly could identify it. Yeah. I mean, which is. I, I wouldn't say that's like really troubling or distressing, no, but like it's, just, that's just like psychology of it, teenagers. It is for him. That's that's kind I mean, of stuff that keeps you up out. at night as a coach. Yeah, when I mean, they don't respond to, to you. Yeah, and there's no question. Um, you know, are they? Res- how do they respond to Brian McGorder? I have no idea. Um, you know, certainly they. I think play. I think they like the offensive staff. I think Denbrock, Sanford, Heastand. Um, you know, they love they love Harry Heastand. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's. But that's like the offensive and line. Denson. They love Denson. Yeah, the running backs. I love think they Denson. love Sanford too. Has, yeah. has the offensive line brought it? No. Even though they love Harry Easton, no. no. Um, so it's it's hard to figure out. Um, and I think that's that. You're like you said. I think that probably keeps up Brian Kelly at night yeah. more than anything. Is you know what's with this team? Why don't why don't they have a switch they can no, turn on? You know, nothing is more frustrating for a coach when I when you can't. What button do I push? I can't find the right button to push. You know, and there and there's there's two ends of the spectrum. You know, treating them really like you love them and respect them, and kicking their ass on the other end, and everything in between. And you try to press every one of those buttons in between, and it doesn't work. Yeah, that's what keeps you up at night. Yeah. So I, I I'll be curious to see what buttons he tries to push this week. We talked about in the last podcast. I felt like this would have been a week to go positive on them. Because you don't need to hammer them any more than they've already been hammered. Yeah. I'm curious if it actually works that out that way. That doesn't mean no ice not cream being party. physical. Yeah. Yeah. Not the ice cream party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think be, you could be positive and be physical. I agree. I agree. That doesn't mean easy practice. I would imagine that that's what has happened this week. I don't know how we have conversations at Notre Dame's level, Michigan State week, about not being physical. How, I, are, you getting, how I, are you going into a game like that and not, and not the most physical... Physically ready and mentally, you you know what you have to match. What's coming against you with Michigan State and Stanford and Tech and Alabama and something like that? It's like, you know what? We weren't ready for the speed of the game. That kind of thing bothers me so much. Charlie Weiss used to say that. What are you talking about? Okay, Guys but, run fast. But when two, <laughs> I mean, but when two of your four starting defensive linemen are Andrew Trombetti, who is not, why is he your starting fish, defensive lineman? Well, I, I wouldn't disagree with yeah. that part of it. But when two of your four starters are him and. Deron Jones, who doesn't have enough motor, whose whose motor doesn't run long enough and hard enough to be tough on every snap. And how many snaps did he play, Pete? Do you know what? Off uh, it, it was he played more than Cage last week, and that yeah. was the yeah, first was. time that happened. Um, I'm not really sure why Cage though. came off his best game. Yeah, Cage you know? did come off yeah. his best game, but I mean, uh, Tillery had it all night. Yeah, that was. Uh, I thought Rochelle had it all night. I mean, look, Michigan State had. A great game plan defensively, how they used their linebackers. They saw where Kaiser was attacking in intermediate routes, and they just stuck their linebackers in there and gummed up the whole thing. I thought offensively they were great how they used R.J. Shelton. They moved Notre Dame's fronts around. They had the unbalanced line that got Studstill and Coney out of position. They block really aggressively, and they hold. 
Very well. Yes, they do, they do that too. <laughs> yeah, so. that's a, that is the best holding team I've ever I, seen. It's real. It's and I'm not making an excuse, yeah. but yeah. they are professionals yeah. at holding. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I thought, look, Michigan State had the better mental edge, but they had the much better game plan on top of that. And, I mean, we talked about star rankings. Well, Notre Dame has a bunch of four stars. Well, Michigan State had a five-star running around. It was pretty friggin' obvious who that was on their defensive line because he was just tossing people yeah. in Malik McDowell. So, Duke doesn't have any of that. Uh, I don't think Duke is going to be physical. Duke sure doesn't have a five-star defensive lineman. Uh, and I think the, the fact they've already played two... FBS games where they've had to put it all out on the field, they're not going to be able to throw a changeup at Notre Dame the way that Michigan State did, uh, you know, less so Texas, Nevada somewhat with their option game and, and quarterback rotation. So I think we know what Duke is. I think we know what Notre Dame is. And ultimately, that's why Notre Dame's going to come out on top. So I, should we move to picks to uh, wrap up this first segment, O'Malley? You've got a formula you want to debut today. I do. With a lot of things. There's been a lot of uh, Twitter feedback on my living, breathing. Quarterback with a pulse gets three touchdowns. So Duke is a Power 5 program. Living, breathing quarterback. Yes, even though he's a backup. They start with 21 points. Formula goes from here. Duke has four plays in excess of 50 yards for touchdowns. Notre Dame tends to give those up. There's an extra touchdown. Duke now has 28 points. Duke is 120, 127th out of 128 teams in fumbles lost. That means they lose too many fumbles. Totally irrelevant because Notre Dame won't cause any. They stay at 28 points. Duke is a balanced team. They throw the ball a lot, but they run it in. Extra touchdown. 35 points for Duke. Duke has a redshirt freshman quarterback who ranks ahead of Shane Bichelle in total yards. 42 points for Duke. Reality, Duke is not very good. Take away four touchdowns. They now have 14 points. It's just the way it works. I mean, the math is the math. <laughs> the defense for Notre Dame tackled tackled people in practice this week. They practice what they're going to do on Saturday. They didn't whiz up as much, run around and tackle squishy robots. Whee! Duke goes down to seven points. David Cutcliffe is on Duke's staff. Touchdown. Duke has 14 points. Law of averages is that I don't watch enough Duke film. They get another point. I mean, another touchdown. Jerron Jones blocks the extra point. 45-20 Duke. Three touchdowns. <laughs> are, you are you going to apply this formula each and You're every really week? You're really showing your work there. I'm showing my work there. Can you show us some math on that? Yeah. Is there <laughs> yeah. photo this screen? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I like I like your final score. I'm just going to agree with it. 45-20. I, I I man, I don't think I don't think I think it's a good number you have there, Tim and Pete. Uh, I I don't think Duke exceeds 20. I don't, and and I and I think I said earlier, if anyone, if anyone, I mean, I think Nordheim's offense could have trouble running the ball at times, and so maybe that keeps Nordheim's point total down. So I, I'm probably somewhere around you guys. I'm probably actually going to pick less than less than twenty, just because of the way Duke's uh, offense has struggled up to this point. But uh, <laughs> you you just just. Play sound football. Play with a sense of urgency. Play physically. Take advantage of opportunities. You're not. You're probably not going to outcoach David Cutcliffe, but David Cutcliffe doesn't have enough uh, enough right, firepower right. right now. He just doesn't. That's a wrap for segment one on our Show Street Insider. We've had scientific formulas included today. Uh, next up, questions from our readers, both uh, message board, Twitter, all that. We'll get into all that segment two. Our Show Street Insider.
segment two of Irish Illustrated Insiders, our burning up the board segment, and we start with a question from SFND. Staff, can you name your realistic choice to replace Brian Van Gorder? Oh, get ahead of the game here in <laughs> September. Um, but I mean, this was a popular topic on our message board, so there's kind of no point in pretending that sure. it's not being discussed. Um, you know, Derek Mason came up, uh, head coach at Vanderbilt. They're really struggling. They actually are giving up more yards per play than Notre Dame this year. So yes. uh, look Sounds out good. on yeah. that. Um, but certainly among coordinators, Dave Aranda, I freaking think is a genius. Um, <laughs> he's at LSU. He's on a guaranteed three-year contract, but LSU is uh, starting a Purdue transfer at quarterback, so their season's going a little bit sideways. Um, so he'd be somebody I would keep in mind. And then Todd Orlando at Houston. I mean, that defense is just freaking mean. Uh, a lot of whizzing going on in their practices. Yeah, now, yeah. what they have that Michigan State also has is a five-star defensive tackle who throws people all over the field, and Notre Dame just doesn't have one of those. But um, those would be three guys that, uh, that certainly come to mind for yeah. me. Let me. You know, first of all, I mean, I, when you're at Vanderbilt, it, it's, diff- it's difficult yeah, to put up great stats all the time. Vanderbilt gave up 19 points or less to 7 of 12 opponents last year. This is a good defensive coordinator uh, with with a quality history. He runs a 3-4. I think we're in agreement that 3-4 is the best route to go for Notre Dame, both in terms of philosophy and the talent that they have on the field slash what's coming in with Jeter and Ewell and Hinnish in particular. Orlando has been great wherever he's been. Yeah. He, he was six years at UConn. You know, when UConn was really, really good defensively, he was he was quality at Florida International, for crying out loud, for two years. Utah State, they've been really, really good. It's a guy that, you know, I mean, you have... It, it doesn't mean just because these are quality defensive coordinators that Notre Dame's going to have a shot at them, because if Tom Herman goes somewhere else, if he goes to LSU or wherever, pretty much oh. wherever he wants to go... Well, then Dave Aranda can come here. Then, yeah, then Dave yeah. Aranda could come to Notre Dame, but Orlando... I, I mean, I, I, I'm Also kinda, from Pittsburgh. Uh, from Pittsburgh, Wisconsin graduate. I, I'm not sure about his football background. Linebacker. Okay, um, all right. Uh, but, yeah, Pittsburgh... I think coach, anytime you hear that yeah. West Western Pennsylvania, Co- I mean, he, he could have grown up a Notre Dame fan if you're from Pittsburgh. at... Pittsburgh Central Catholic, where right. David Adams there and Kurt go. Heinisch play right. right now. I mean, it was just for a, a short amount of time, but there's there are a lot of connections that you would look for in a, a Notre Dame. I mean, those are be like, oh, I could definitely talk yeah. myself into this one. Those are those are the three. Those are three great, great names. names for September of speculation now, realistic, season. Yeah, yeah, how realistic. I feel like Orlando's are. tied to Herman. He his probably big move is up to wherever he decides to he go. Pro- he probably is, and and I think as we as we progress forward we, we will all be looking for names and possibilities and ties um you know to Notre Dame okay, as we Miami move forward. Miami of Ohio is 0 3 right now. And Miami of Chuck Martin is pretty good defensive coach. Yeah. So I mean that's a possibility. I too. still think that they I still think that they're inclined to give Martin a little bit more time just because they've narrowed the gap of competitiveness. The year before he was there, they weren't even close to winning games. And so He's narrowed the gap. Maybe they'll be a little bit more patient than three years, but we live in a three-year head coaching world nowadays. Question number two from Chuck Darney. Personnel-wise, who is to blame defensively? And he lists a good number of players that have looked good, a couple such as Drew Tranquil that, you know, objectively struggled a little bit, studs still coming along. Obviously guys like Tillery, Rochelle, Morgan have looked very good on a Walu. So we're, we have more guys looking good, if you look at Notre Dame's defense, than you think are struggling mightily. So he says... 
Since no individual has been as bad as to draw my ire, but the collective group has failed, what is the issue? Well, I would I would disagree with the question at safety because I, I think that position has been poor all year. Um, have they made a couple plays here or there? Yes, but that position is performing at a, a six and six level, um, not playoff level, not even champ sports bowl level. That's a, a they are poor at safety right now. Doesn't mean they're going to be poor at safety in November because Devin Sutzel is going to get a lot better. But I mean, Drew Tranquil had him for five missed tackles against Michigan State, and he made six tackles. I had Avery Sebastian with four missed tackles at Texas. And these these are critical, critical tackles. Well, they're also tacklers. Yeah. The two people you just named are tacklers. They have That's, to make those plays. Yeah. Um, defensive line, I thought they were kind of okay against Michigan State. Um, it's strange to say it. It is. It, is, it, yeah. it just doesn't feel comfortable no. coming out of my mouth. But <laughs> I look at Rochelle, Tillery, when Jay Hayes was in the game, Michigan State averaged about three, a little over three yards per carry. Uh, Dalen Hayes did some good things. I do wonder if moving forward it's going to be Hayes and Hayes more and more and more and less Trombetti. Because I, I think if you're trying to stop the run, go with how Jay can, Hayes. If how you're can trying you to play not? the pass, Dalen Hayes yeah, is yeah. You could keep Trombetti involved in the in that nickel pass sure. rush role easily. I mean, if he's not playing the whole time, you can have Trombetti and Dalen Hayes as your nickel pass rushers. And I think linebacker, look... If Notre Dame had five James Onowalos instead of one, they would be three and zero. Yeah, that's how I feel. That's uh, not how. Well, he's I the most improved played. player on the team. Yes. Who, who yeah. sent you that question? Chuck Darnay. I the board. think it's a, a really great question. It's something that we've been discussing. That I mean, individually, it's like, wait a minute. We, I like the way the linebackers are playing. Yeah. Now Brian Kelly said that the Will linebackers have been inconsistent, but I felt like when the replacement has come yeah. in. That replacement has has played well at that point. Interesting part about the Will linebackers, because other than when Coney kind of got moved out of the gap on the 73-yard touchdown by, and I'm not making excuses either, a blatant, blatant hold. That was a 73-yard touchdown. His, the jersey, is, back, his jersey is totally pulled to the side. Was that the pushing on, him back on Tranquil, or was that no, this something is the else? 73-yard touchdown. Stud still vacates his responsibility, yeah. and Coney gets moved out of the way, and then they both get benched yeah, immediately yeah. after. Other than that, I mean, I, I think Coney is an aggressive guy that they're going to stick with, but Greer Martini coming in in the new role, the dime, uh, not dime, I keep saying dime, nickel linebacker role, three of Notre Dame's nine third down stops were tackles by Greer Martini on scrambling Tyler O'Connor on third down. So he wow. came in and did his job. He did a good job. I mean, that's, that's tough I to mean, do. Jerry Tillery... Look, I've been the harshest critic of Jerry Tillery, yeah. I, I think, and God bless him. He played hard, and he played great against Michigan State. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, all right, now this is what this guy can be. Yeah. He's raised the bar. He's got to stay up at that bar or exceed it. But Jerron Jones, when he doesn't run out of gas, I think is effective. Cage Isaac has been quite good. Yeah, I mean, I, Isaac Rochelle, I think, has been really good. I've liked the linebackers. I have to disagree with you, Pete, on the the level of the six and six level of play of the safety. I think it's worse than that. Okay, actually, <laughs> well, not actually, and here's the problem: the strength we had going into the season, we we thought the safeties might be seven and five type safeties. We thought Cole Luke, Sean Crawford, and the Nick Coleman as a backup were going to be really good at corner. Cole Luke had a really bad game. Nick Coleman had a really bad game, and Sean Crawford's not in there. And by the way, if you're Sean Crawford, I know it's terrible you're not playing. But every time you go out for the season, it's like you're LeBron James leaving a team because they can't function without you, apparently. Right. It's, Sean Crawford's out. Scrap it. New, <laughs> yeah. new, new plan. Although, after watching the Texas game, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. I can see that. <laughs> I agree yeah, he's pretty good. Um, Grisimo, I don't understand the excuse explanation that the reason for our defense 
defensive woes is youth. Kelly keeps going back to being young. He's in year seven. If you're young, that is either a recruiting or development issue. I'm curious which you think is true, uh, but I'm more curious why you think the coach talks about accountability. It seems to be skirting it by talking about how young the defense is. Preach it, Grisimo. I, I mean, I, we hear what you're saying, man. I mean, I, you know, and it just goes back to the, the, the line of 10 pros. You had five pros on defense last year, and you weren't very good. So I, whether you're old or young, it doesn't really matter to the – Overall productivity of your defense in particular, and we're not talking about the offense, but um, I mean, it, it's just not, it's just you're, you're no, bad, young or old, it doesn't matter. It's an excuse. It's not even a reason. So sometimes there's reasons, sometimes there are excuses, but it's just an excuse. Because there's nothing else he can say. Yeah, Is that there's what not. There's, yeah. so, there's nothing left. And you well, know what? You can give an excuse because if, unless you're just going to tell the truth that it goes, it's not working. You can't, I mean, it goes back to you can't cut them, can't trade them line. Yeah. I mean, because. The issues at safety were created three years ago with poor recruiting. You know, that's when, if you want to get down to it. Right, and the the issues at pass rusher was they missed on Colin Hill. We made a joke, but they missed on Colin Hill, the project. They missed on Johnny Williams, the project. And Jonathan Bonner, the pass rushing project, has become a big end Bo Wallace as well. Bo Wallace, they yeah, uh, he's he's the an eligible Kelty now. Williams didn't they, they, well, out well, heck, I mean, if you just had Eddie Vanderdose on the roster, um, how much different would the defensive line look? Um, they they've had they've been the playoffs last year. They've recruited they've recruited guys at defensive end who have not panned out and come here, and they just missed completely at safety in the sophomore and junior class. I mean, even the senior class really. So it's that's, that's they had Kelty Williams that that. I don't well, think that would have solved it. I, it, it may not have. The senior four-star like that's not on the team might have helped against Texas. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, there was him, too. There's yeah. no question about that. He was on campus, that. though, on game day. Yeah. Tim? Yes, that's a strange situation for that poor guy. But, you know, I'm serious because we talked about how, well, it'll be an upgrade eventually. It wasn't early. You know, it can be. Uh-huh. It can be for Devin Stutz still later. But, you know, Max Redfield out there, uh, they're probably 2-1, and one, right? Just make a couple tackles on guys that are running 70 yards. You tackle them after 50. The Gerard, uh, the Gerard Hurd, yes. the Gerard Hurd play. He's yeah. not going down the one yard line, and then maybe Notre Dame wouldn't be caught yeah. in a three man front on the goal line. Yeah, which is beautiful. Yeah. You can't. I mean, with I J- with Jalen Elliott trotting out of the field in goal line, uh, dashing Domer. Notre Dame continues to miss on that plug and play pass rusher, but overall it seems like they're making some incremental improvement in defensive line recruiting. How would you rate the 2016 and projected 2017 D line classes? On the spectrum in comparison to 2014-15, is there hope? Should we expect it to get worse before it gets better? No, I think that they're better in both. I mean, 2017 and 2016 are way better than 2014 and 2015. I am excited about the guys that are coming in. I mean, I am... We'll get to the recruiting segment. I am really excited about Donovan Jeter and Yule and Nose Tackle and Hinnish. I thought Hinnish was a diamond in the rough... Uh, they are moving in the right direction. The Dalen Hayes up front. Yes, that's one to remember because he's going to be so much. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to be such a good football player going forward. That I, I don't say that because he's had shoulder surgery. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. how would how would you when you look at Nuri's pass rush? If Dalen Hayes was a junior, would we be talking about Nuri not having any sacks? No. I don't think so. Um, so it's but the problem. I agree with what this dashing Domer saying. It is getting better. The problem is that you needed it to be better three years ago, yeah. um, and there's not a whole, there's just year. not a whole lot you can do about well, it. Well, the the Maka Makwa who looks like he might be able to help you in seventeen and eighteen, but the Makwa do Treadway Elijah Taylor group 
Well, is not Tiasum. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tiasum. Tiasum's yeah, I mean, not I, dressing at home games right now, which is what used to happen to Montalus. I put Mako with that group, but Tiasum's not going to play. The Dew Treadway thing, I almost feel he showed a flash there in the spring where he thought, oh, he looks a little better than, looks more athletic, as you mentioned, during yeah. the spring game than Taylor and Tiasum, and then getting set back. And he's going to miss another year. He's missing a year of football this year, basically, right? I mean, yeah. yes. That's, and he's already redshirted, so it's not a, not a beneficial right. year to miss. So sometimes, yeah, and not like he's the answer, but I'm saying you, there's a piece in there. Jay Hayes is a year younger than everybody thinks. Remember, he he did redshirt red in that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm really excited about those guys, and you mix them in with Jay Hayes and Tillery. You know, guys with eligibility remaining. Cage has another year. Mockwood, I think, can help. But it's the incoming that are the difference makers. The other guys we're I talking so. about are pieces. Bonner right. will help you. Jay Hayes will help you. Quara. Yes. Dalen, you need Khalid Kareem. You need difference making players. Because I mean, you're mentioning the guys that you like in the older classes, but you're just mentioning one per class, and that's where Notre Dame needs right. to have two or three guys that yeah. you really like. And I think they have two or three guys in the freshman class that they really like. I think they'll have two or three guys in next freshman class that they really like. It's just a different perspective on, on defensive line depth. But getting back to this is, I think this is a point I want to make about though, coming in as freshmen. And then, well, they're going to be young then. But they don't have to carry the load if Jay Hayes, Jerry Tillery, Jonathan Bonner, Dalen Hayes, and Khalid Kareem, etc. are also involved. Because you could just have flashes from those guys. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like Sheldon Day as a freshman. If you have guys that, hey, Sheldon Day's going to be better than some of these guys, but he's not yet. But boy, do we need him to play 10 snaps. Those are 10 snaps. How many snaps did Tuit play as a freshman? I mean, he started. Yeah, a bunch. I mean, but he, they was, had, he was relied uh, on. They relied on Lynch. They relied on to it. When did he move into the... Well, they didn't... Neither one of them played against Michigan, right. if you recall. Yeah. So, you know, because too many athletes right. out so, there okay, would be a problem. So they don't even need that much contribution for him as long as these other guys are no, I think, saying. No, I think the yeah. Sheldon Day 2012 is like, that's what you're looking for. Right. And for that to finally be okay is just... It's, right. it's a healthier place to be. Right. I think they can do that. They're heading in that direction. YTMFD, what is everyone's best guess on the team's final record this season? Is there anything Notre Dame could show against Duke that would improve that outlook? No, go to the latter. Um, I, unless they took terrible, <laughs> that would improve that. I guess it would improve the outlook. I think ten and two is completely unrealistic for this team because the defense could be completely better, and this team will still stub a toe against somebody or lose to a peer, which appears to be right now. Stanford looks better than you, but you could beat Stanford at home. You could, you can't beat Stanford at home. Virginia Tech could be a peer. Miami could be a peer. USC, by the end of the year, could be a peer. And, look, you could talk about USC's dumpster fire. If you went to Vegas right now, USC's favorite in that game. So it's not that bad of a problem right. for them. So 10-2 is unrealistic just by watching them. I would think... I don't think they'll make it to 9-3, and three, but I think that's the realistic goal, and they can do it. They have to look... They have to play so much better going forward for me to really think that's going to continue from NC State forward, though. You are giving them two wins now, right? I mean, they're about to be three and two, probably. Right. Yes. So then, are they going so, six and one with Navy and Army in there? So are they going four and one? Navy's going to get them now that I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I, I, I said this the other day when we were coming out of the Tuesday press conference. I think, um, in, unless we see something different in the next three games, it's it's difficult for me to envision a win over both Stanford and Miami. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Um, I think Virginia Tech is a real dangerous game because I know how much talent they have on their roster. They have a new coach, how much enthusiasm and cohesion he creates. And you still have to go to USC, yeah. as you said. You know, so, 
I'm I would say eight and four. Right now, my yes. vision is eight and four. Okay. That's yeah. my vision right now. Eight and four, and that is just a total drag. All right, what's more, I agree, it's purgatory too. What do you think is more likely, nine and three or seven and five? Because eight and four is easy to say, I think, at this point. With this. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So what's what's more likely? Ugh. No bowl game. You're not talking about bowl Jeez. games. You can't throw in Rutgers to make it look good. Nine and three or seven and five. <laughs> ah. Well, while you're thinking about that, because <laughs> I picked, you know, I used to when I did the old punches, which were always so well received. Uh, I picked nine and three. Uh, yeah, you had and nine I and three to start. start. You had nine and three to start the year. I had nine and three to start the year, but I one of my last hunches always used to be: Are they more likely to be eight and four or ten and two? And I would have said eight and four this year, just because. I mean, have we been preaching it since the spring that they're not tough enough between the ends on defense? I mean, now Tillery is yeah, Tillery is, has showed <coughs> otherwise, and and John Jones is is getting more snaps, but. I would have chosen eight and four right. over ten and two. Um, so you're saying Pete so, are dumb for choosing ten? No, I, no, <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, but I'm not sure that it. I, you know, does, how's that translate now between choosing seven and five and nine and three? Seven and five sounds so I think bad. Going, I do think they're going to. <laughs> here's what I think I'm they're repulsed by the thought of it. Here's why it's tough to say because I do think like the question that was asked yeah. about. Individuals, I, I'm seeing individual talent now. It's a matter of having cohesion. If they get that cohesion. It'll be nine and three. If they don't, which they haven't showed up to this point, it'll be seven and five. They benefit from there is no Clemson or Louisville. Oh mother, oh my goodness, on this roster. I mean, on this schedule this year, they, it Stanford is clearly the best opponent, and it's at yes. home. And this is when Notre Dame should be playing their best ball too. At that point, I think I'm going to go nine and three, more likely than seven and five, because I could see them still losing to Stanford. That's not out of the realm, right? Then they're on a bye week. But I could see him winning their final five. Yeah, I, um, I think that's almost like the goal. If you're a, not not that you would concede Stanford if you're the coach, but you think let's get through that. Yeah, play get, well, and, get to the bye week, yeah. win the next three. Stanford's a toss up, but then really focus on winning it's the so, last five. It's so hard to say. I mean, obviously, not only because of the development of Notre Dame, but how does Stanford evolve with your young quarterback? How does Miami evolve with Mark Richt and his influence? As part of year nine and three, you had him beating Stanford, though, right? Because Stanford had such a tough first six games. I did. I have. I had him losing to uh, Miami. Michigan I had him State. losing to. Or I mean, to Michigan State. I had him losing to NC State, which is, you know, Pete's refuted that with <laughs> with solid <laughs> the greatest stat of all time. And I, t- and, I, and, I and I agree with you. Um, oh, and eighteen and against what? I keep forgetting. Yeah, FBS teams that finish the winning record. They're going to lose at home again. Oh, they're, they're, going, they're not. They're not going to sweep Stanford, Miami, and Virginia Tech, are they? No, you're right. Do you, a think, great call. you you think they could? Miami, Virginia Tech, and who? Stanford. Stanford. Oh no, no, I wouldn't say they're going to sweep those teams, but they'll definitely win two of them. Okay. So, all right. Next up, that's a good question. Irish <laughs> Irish McCarthy. Who is actually calling the plays? This year's playbook is different from last year's, specifically the run game, less pistol, less jet sweep action, more zone read. Is Denbrock still the play caller? Why the difference in scheme? I don't remember pistol last year as much as I did previously with Golson. Yeah, um, I disagree with the premise of this question. The, uh, the jet sweep, at, less jet sweep action is probably because they don't have CJ Procise running the jet sweep, which was a nice thing to have at the time. Um, well, your personnel... Changes. Yeah, your personnel I changes. Mean, there is probably more zone read, but I, yeah, I don't remember Pistol from last year with Kaiser. Uh, we assume Denbrock is still a play caller, right? Because we kind of found that out at the end of last year. Anyway. No, Denbrock. <laughs> He's got the Den, yeah, Denbrock's, yeah. yeah, Denbrock's calling the plays. I don't know. I think that the offensive line's gelling and it makes the scheme look different. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no Will Hunter. They run forward. just as much zone read this year as last year. Those, like, when I'm charting that, okay. that's the same. Um, they're not doing two tight end stuff, really, at all. That's the same. Um, you know, they did do four wide, like, actually have four receivers in the game at one time last week, which is, that's different. But that's only like four plays of sixty. So. You know where? Okay, let, let, I mean, let's just look at the personnel differences. You had a you had a run blocking power right guard replaced by a guy whose game is probably best on the run. You had the ultimate deep threat in Will Fuller. He's he, he's how they changed. Yeah, you Honestly, don't. Right. Changed. You don't have that. So, and that's reflected, Pete, in the stats that you've gathered on length of throws, etc. Et uh, what are the other differences? Well, you had Elizé Jones. He only caught 13 passes, but he was an influence in the offense. You don't have him now. Durham Smythe caught a pass. I don't like the way he's played at all. Really? At I, all. Couldn't, I couldn't tell during yeah, the game. No, I mean, I just don't. There's no physicality being played there. Uh, so, I mean, I think you look at the components of the offense, and that helps explain some of the, the variances. And they have one. You know what? It's interesting because we talk about Will Fuller, and as Pete said in August, I think, maybe it was July, doesn't matter how much we like all these pieces of wide receiver, and I do. They're coming along. Just give me Will Fuller and three other dudes running around yeah. there to get out of the way. And they'll be good, but, too. <laughs> they'll be good, too. But I, I, there's a new, you know, I do think, I don't think this is fool's goal because it happened against Michigan State. I do think they have a new weapon coming up for the next nine weeks in Chase Claypool. I'm writing about him today. Um, yeah, I agree. But, look, the, the scope of the passing game is what has changed the most in terms of where Kaiser is going with the ball because he actually improved on – 20-yard throws last week, so now he's 5 of 15 for 167 yards, a TD and interception on on that distance this year. You know, last year, just throw it up, and Will Fuller's going to go get it. They don't have that guy. Uh, I was impressed to see Torrey Hunter kind of do that against Michigan State. Um, But athletically, they took a a big step back at receiver. Um, You know, could St. Brown be better than Chris Brown? Yeah, absolutely. C.J. Sanders be better. Then Amir Carlisle, I think he already is. Um, But it's the Hunter Fuller gap. And, like, I mean, we asked Hunter about it this week, and he's like, look, I'm not trying to be Will (laughs) Fuller. And he is dead on about that because, just like athletically, nobody is. And Hunter's 0% of the problem. We're not saying that. Yeah, that's not an issue. He's really, I mean, I think he's really good. But he's just not Will Fuller, and there's not much you can do about that. Blue, Blue Chip Man asks, Ned Bolkar made a comment in regard to the defensive scheme regarding Notre Dame's blitz package. It was, why even blitz if you can't get to the quarterback consistently? What is your opinion on dialing down blitzes and playing more conservatively to take pressure off the poor tackling team? Well, I think that they have. I mean, it's, I, it's something that people need to acknowledge is they're not sending the house really at all. Um, and Brian Kelly talked about this week about you know, it's, it, I think you use the term measured. You measure the, the pressure you're going to put on your safeties and your corners by how much you blitz. I mean, they, the way I've tracked it is, you know how many, you know how many passing attempts Notre Dame has brought six guys? Three all year, and they're all against Texas. They're not blitzing. They'll bring five guys every now and again, but they're not getting pressure. Um, and five's barely blitzing. I'm five's yeah. not, that doesn't, I have, I against Texas and Michigan State, I have them getting pressure on seven passing attempts of 46. So basically they're at 12%. Um, That's not good. But I don't think they feel good about what would happen at the back end if they started setting. Like, remember in the offseason we were talking about how exciting it would be to watch Niles Morgan blitz? I still think that it would be. But 
I don't think they want to carve out the middle of their defense. We said that about Jalen Smith last year. Yeah, they don't want to carve out the middle of their defense yeah. like that. Um, so they personnel like they have toned it down in a big way. I think it's a it's a it's a misconception that they're ultra aggressive on defense right yeah, now. They're I just don't, not I, in this day and age. You you can't just say okay, we're not going to blitz. I mean, I yeah. just I disagree with Ned in in that regard. I know where he was coming from because mm-hmm. we were. Talking back and forth, and he wanted to be more conservative, fundamentally sound. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that was the whole point. In this day and age, you've you've got to be able to blitz. I mean, third and nine, you've got to be able to do that. the 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 question is not whether you do it. The question is you need, or, or the problem is you need to find the personnel that will get that done. Now, Joe Schmidt blitzing. We knew that that was that he wasn't he was going to work his ass off to get there, but he was not going to 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 get home on those. So. You have to find the personnel. A Dalen Hayes is that type of personnel. A Julian O'Quara is that type of personnel, although he gives up some size and strength to offensive tackles. But to get to what Pete said, I, they definitely have <coughs> dialed it back. It still has to be a part of it. And I guess if you're not going to get home, you're going to have to be a little bit more judicious with how often you do it. we got a couple Twitter questions, but just to close out on this question, you tell me if this is effective or not. When they rush five, opposing quarterbacks are six of fourteen for thirty-six yards and interception. I think they're they're creating some kind That's of good. impact yes. on what's happening there. And I will I will throw this in because I just did a story yesterday that Beyond the Numbers was on Notre Dame's third down defense on third and ten or more. Notre Dame has stopped eight of eleven. It's so short yardage. It's that they're not doing that. <laughs> it's yeah. that they're not stopping anything short yardage. They have stopped four of thirteen. On third and three or less. That's and the, terrible. Yeah, and the third, four, five, and six, which is what, that's kind of like not obvious run, not right. obvious pass. I'm doing MSU in Texas. Cause right, right, throw right, a lot right. out of this thing when they're doing this. They are four of seven. They were four of seven against Michigan State. The problem was one of them ended the game. And then, actually, against Texas, they were three of four. The problem was one of them was a touchdown that basically ended that in overtime. So that's yeah. the, they're giving up the bigger ones. Um and the other killer is on these third and th- third one, two, and three. They're not only giving up one yard for first downs; they're giving up giant gains on other ones. Like that's where teams are getting twenty-eight, twenty-four, twenty-six against them on third and three, third and two, third and one. So it's not downfield passes, right? These are these yeah, are between yeah, the tackle like running plays, right, right? Those yeah. aren't all passes. That's just wow. All right, Twitter question from Michael Martin says: I know we all worship at the Church of Harry. But what would you consider the signature performance of this offensive line in terms of run game? In terms of run game, that threw me off because I was about to say they've been protecting yeah. Kaiser well. I think they do a good job of that. Um, overall. Uh, it, since he's been there, is yeah. that the oh, since LSU? He's been there, yeah, or there's plenty. Of, I mean, Stanford last year. Josh Adams was a dominant force in that game. They rushed for 299 yeah, yards. I know Stanford, Stanford didn't have a great defense last year, but Stanford did yeah. go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> the, the point of the he question. wants to know yeah. elite defense. Yeah, right. I think he wants right. to couch that with right. against a really good defense. I mean, I uh, thought maybe USC in 2012, where they're like they couldn't throw it, they had to run yeah. it, and they ran it. They, uh, if, you, if you got to do it that way, well, Florida State, number two in the country, had won 29 straight games. They did. They ran it well. Fulston ran very well, better than I thought he would down there. That would be one. Um, I mean, I think if people are like, well, Clemson killed them. Yeah, they did, but whatever. I mean, <laughs> Clemson, we, we didn't think they're going to win yeah. the rushing matchup there anyway. So he's out of If you're going to his history, he's done fine from 2012 through. I think yeah. I yeah. think Harry Heastan has done a great job of developing individuals, but his lines tend to be inconsistent. Big games. I don't think that yeah. is that. You know what? The, the frustrating thing with Heastan for fans, I believe, and I, and I think it bears out a little bit. 
is there are so many. I, I do think across the nation there are more stuffs that we call them. Zero, one, and two-yard gains. I think it's just the way defense is played now up front. I think fans see third and two is not a guarantee for Notre Dame right. right now, and I think they just equate, that's not a tough running game. I know you need to be able to convert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, fair. it's totally fair. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not making an excuse for them, but I don't think they're the only ones that are a pretty good program that are in that spot. All right, we'll close the segment with this question also from Twitter, a bit of a hand grenade for you guys. Rob Ebert wants to know, what are the odds Brandon Wimbush is starting next year? I think he will be. Okay. Yeah, I think they're pretty high. Okay. I agree, too. Okay. <laughs> All right. On that note, we'll get into our recruiting segment. couple commitments. DJ Harvey Poops, Donovan Jeter Football. Wrap up Michigan State visitors a little bit and then preview a couple key guys visiting this weekend. All that. Segment three, Irish Illustrated Insider. Segment three of Irish Illustrated Insider is a recruiting roundup and exciting news for Notre Dame, both on the basketball front and the football front. First of all, Donovan Jeter, the defensive uh, end, defensive tackle, capable of sliding inside, but I'm sure he's a defensive end on the next level from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, which is the hometown of? Ron Pulse. No. Oh. Joe Namath. Joe Namath, Joe Namath yeah. yes. He's also uh, and, a, Pulse, right? and, and, and you drive through... Signs for Beaver Falls every time you go to Pittsburgh. Where's Ron Pellis from? Huh? Where's Ron Pellis from? Berwick. Ah! Yeah. Damn. Um, <laughs> love Donovan Jeter. Love DJ Harvey, a 6'5", 185-pounder. Um, shooting guard, long, can penetrate, can finish with either hand, soft touch, pull-up jumper, quick release off the pass. I like him. Sounds like it. That's good. That, that, it's really good for Mike Bray's system, too. I mean, that, that's absolutely. It's important to get guys out of DeMatha yeah. as well. I mean, that's where he went to school. It's where Jaron Grant went. I mean, it's they, they need to have a presence there. That needs to be like a real pipeline opposed to you sign one guy out of there. It's a pipeline. Um, and who's your best player well, the in one 15 that you, years? Exactly. The one that you, yeah, the one that you got previously yeah. was, was um, really good. But, you know, they lose Vastori and Beecham after this year, and they need a, they need a wing player. And, and, He's it. I, I'm really excited about him. I wish he was in sooner rather than later. Well, I mean, with Jeter on the football side of things, I have to give a ton of credit to Mike Elston and Keith Gilmore for basically not taking no for an answer. Right. Um, that's that's a sign of a good recruiting staff when you can be told no and be like, ah, you're going to think about that. And then you get back and you make it work. And I know a lot of people give credit to Heinish and Adams and Jurgovic for you know being a Western PA, but... They don't reach out to this kid unless the staff is also working that part of the angle. The, hey, we need your help. Um, so I, I, I think you need to appreciate the job that Notre Dame did recruiting Donovan Jeter. Because in the summer, Notre Dame was basically out. Uh, and then he took one official visit and, and committed. And he had a lot of familiarity with Pitt, where his brother plays hoops. Um, Notre Dame was not probably the easy pick there. And it was a need Need, need position. I mean, I think on the preview podcast, I said he's the most important official visitor last weekend. Now he's the most important commitment in the class. <laughs> so yeah. that's a big one. Yeah, I mean, going back to Elston and and, uh, <clears throat> and Gilmore, their their input. I mean, obviously, those these guys knew that, okay, look, this is a Notre Dame guy. This is a guy that's going to fit here and thrive here. So they stay on it. And I, you know, I mean, I think that he's a... He's a foundation piece for the future of your defensive line, whether you're in a 3-4 or 4-3. Uh, you know, 
I mean, look, they need more. They need natural pass rushers. I understand that, but this is your anchor. This is this is your Isaac Rochelle, Stefan Tuit type anchor of the left side of your defensive line again, whether it's three man or four man. So, and I mean, really excited about him. And to go back to something we talked about in the previous segment, you need to layer these guys. So instead of signing Isaac Rochelle's replacement in next year's class, you're sign you're actually probably signing Khalid Kareem's replacement, who is Jay Hayes' replacement. So you're getting. You're going to have three, even though you lose Rochelle, you're going to have three really good strong side ends on your roster next year. And that's just, that's a nice place for Notre Dame to be. Um, whereas in the past, I feel like, and this happens with programs that are, are not elite, they're hoping for the next freshman to come in and light the world on fire because they don't have any other options. Notre Dame has other options on the defensive line right now. I don't have it clear in my mind who's where now, you know, which side of the line with Jay Hayes and, and, Kinnish and Jeter and Kareem. Yeah, and I think that will I mean, all be up for yeah, discussion. Yeah, I mean, I don't spring. have that in my mind. I don't have that quite all figured out as to who ends up where. But man, they've got some candidates now. We don't know what front if it's going to be right. multiple, if it's going to be the current defensive coordinator or a new one. Yeah, so that's all up in the air. But you have athletes who are six three and up, and two fifty and up, yeah. and can move. And there'll be multiple. That Brian Kelly wants multiple front. He wants. In you can't play Notre Dame's schedule without multiple Right, fronts. in 2012, there were several games. Purdue was one of a bad example, I guess. But in 2012, they played a 4-3 front on about 90% of the snaps. So yeah. they, they do, that's the best 3-4 yeah. Notre Dame's ever had, and they were playing a 4-3 front. Well, front and that is, Derek Mason is absolutely known for the multiplicity of his fronts. He's also known for, he has a blueprint for how to stop tempo. <laughs> Which is probably a pretty good thing. I think to you do. just throw uh-huh. three defensive linemen out there and see what happens. No <laughs> problem. Some athletes out there. Uh, as far as other visitors, Salvan Ahmed commitment probably coming tomorrow. Washington leads. That's the ex- expectation there. Um, Keldrick Carper is a, a, a name that we didn't talk about in the last podcast because we didn't know he was visiting. Um, he's an A and M commitment at receiver. Notre Dame likes him at safety, though. If you saw him on the sidelines, as I did. He's your solid 6'3", good-looking, long-armed athlete. Um, curious to see where that goes. Um, but I think overall, we'll see what happens with the recruiting weekend moving forward because the game was the game. I mean, Notre Dame didn't look great. Uh, the atmosphere was still good, um, and they got Donovan Jeter right away. So they're at, um, you know, push. I think they're 18 commitments. So 18, Jeter, yeah. Jeter was number 18, so they got room for about four more. They can be fairly choosy the rest of the way. So I, I would just reject. I would reject the notion that that game mattered to recruits if you're going to come or not. The way it might have been, you might have got caught up in their comeback. How exciting and, that and was, you know. Some, some it does, some it doesn't. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. I mean overall, yeah. obviously, someone's gonna care. But I mean, yeah. it's someone's gonna care. I mean, there are people who have already said, you know, it was too cold. Like it's too cold. <laughs> what? Uh, then you're in trouble. But they're from Louisiana <laughs> yeah. or Tennessee, so like everyone makes their own decision based on a million different ways. It's up to her to figure out what those factors are, and then in the case of Donovan Jeter, really drill down and micro-target them, and they did a good job there. We'll be curious to see what happens the rest of the way. Visitors for this weekend, not a lot, as you might expect, but uh, four-star tight end Zach Kuntz in the junior class will be in. Uh, he's another Pennsylvania kid. Uh, Penn State's all over him. He's about he's your six-foot-seven type tight end, um, so pretty nice build there. We'll see what happens with him. Um, but with Brock Wright, Cole Komet, Alizé Jones, in theory, coming back eligibility-wise, uh, if you could add somebody like Koontz down the road, it'd be a good wow, place to that be. That is one hell of a tight end core. Yeah. <laughs> Moving forward. Yeah, exactly. So, 
That's recruiting for this weekend. Football hoops, visitor preview, visitor review, and we will talk to you next for our pregame instant analysis, followed by postgame instant analysis for Notre Dame Duke. Until then, you've been listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider to Priester to Momali. I'm Ben Sanderson. Thank you.